also on Saturday, I went to uh, the ordination of a Buddhist nun. And might, your first thought might be, okay, not my world. <laughs> but, but bear with me, there's something quite relevant here. It is quite an amazing event, by the way, given that there's been a gap of about a thousand years where there weren't any um, in our tradition, and only in the last 30 years has it been revived. So this sort of thing doesn't happen every day. And it was interesting because one thing that stood out to me is that during the ceremony, uh, the candidate has to go out and change clothes a couple times. It's just part of the ceremony that you present yourself in different clothing at different times. And so when she went out, one of the other nuns who was there would go out with her. Actually, two of them would go out to help her change. And while we were waiting for that to happen one time, one of the remaining nuns um, took it as a teaching moment and said to everybody present, you see, we go out there and you know, we, we take care of each other, we help each other, so we don't just make her go out and do this by herself. Some people go with her. So that was nice. And then um, there's a part of the ceremony that only has the nuns, and that was during that. And then later, the monks come in and they do some things to complete the ceremony. And uh, when it came time at the very end, and they were sort of giving the final blessing, the head monk was speaking, and he looked right at the candidate and he said, I'll get this right, we must attain liberation for ourselves. There is no one else to rely on. It is all up to us. You are now completely on your own. And this was his blessing to, the, to this person going forth into the homeless life. So are these contrasting messages that are happening, right? What's, what's going on with that? Um, I think it's worth looking at that contrast a little bit more carefully, because it's, it's not just for the monastics. It's relevant for us, too. So there's group practice, and there's the individual part, right? The part that only you can do. So if we start with the group, we do know that the Sangha is very important. It's considered the third jewel, right? Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. So it's essential component. It's what we take refuge as when we um, enter the path in these three jewels. And so the Sangha is a, is a completely critical part. One interesting phrase about the Sangha that's used in the texts is that it's said to be born of the Dhamma. So the third jewel is born from the second one. And this is true because um, the, the order of the jewels is the order that they appeared, right? First there was a Buddha. Um, well, that's not true. The Dharma was there. <laughs> but then he taught the Dharma. And then only in that case could there be others to share the teachings, who understood the teachings. So it's said to be born, it's an emergent quality of a world where the Dharma is taught. The Sangha comes from having a Dharma in the world. So also though, we find that the people that we're with on the path are important, right? And that they, they do two things. They support us in this fact that we're, what we're doing is not exactly what mainstream society tells us would be good for us, always. There isn't always a clear alignment there. 
you know, if you look outside at the billboards, they say, if you have this car, you'll be more happy. Or, you know, if you uh, attain more status, that's how you're going to be more secure in the world. These messages are pretty blatant, actually, when you look at the media. Um, and they're not what we offer here. So you need support for doing something that's a little different to remember. Not because we're weak and, you know, otherwise we couldn't do it, although I don't know. But more like, you know, our minds are the product of what we get exposed to. And so if you hear these messages so often, even if you have a relatively sheltered, shielded life from all of that, it's there, out there. And so we need to be reminded. How often do we have to hear the teachings before they really sink in? <laughs> you know, and so there's this quality of needing to come together and sharing that in order to support ourselves in moving along this path, which is not always easy. It's also very nice to have people who understand the process, who are going through something similar to themselves, because there are spots along the path that get challenging. They get dry, or something difficult happens, and you want to use the Dharma perspective to work with it. And if all of your friends are not advocating that, uh, it may be hard to actually apply the Dharma to a problem in your life, unless you know other people who know about how to do that. So it's very supportive. And just having other people who understand that there are times also when it's really difficult to go along this path. So precious to have someone who can say, yep, not have to offer you any advice, but they just, you know that they just understand. Also from the teachings, um, the development of a quality called stream entry, the first true understanding of the Dharma, is said to depend on two things, the voice of another and wise attention, which I think is very interesting. So it's actually written in that we have to hear the Dharma, we have to hear it, and we have to pay attention. <laughs> That's the external and internal components, right? Um, we have to hear it and we have to pay attention. Or if we want to use more modern language, um, you know about mirror neurons, right? Where we can adjust. There are certain neurons that are designed to be attuned to what other people are experiencing. And so we're actually kind of meant to emotionally regulate each other in groups. Now, it doesn't mean that the group is going in a good direction, but if the group is dedicated to the Dharma or going in an otherwise helpful direction, that's really helpful for us. It will literally condition us to be more that way ourselves. We also may need a group to let go of our interpersonal suffering, right? It's not always that the group is, I said that the Sangha does two things. One is that they support us in all these different ways. The other is that they provide uh, the wall for us to bump up against. All those difficult people <laughs> um, or other ways in which we are not interacting with the most skill or you know, we're clinging to how we're interacting, Sangha is a great mirror for being able to see that in ourselves and realize uh, how we can correct our behavior and our interactions with people. It's not only an internal job at some level. All of that said, though, the Buddha awakened alone, sitting in the forest alone, and he strongly encouraged secluded practice. He would say to people, 
Here are the roots of trees, here are the empty huts. Go and meditate, lest you regret it later. He was very clear, and he denounced gregariousness as uh, not helpful to the path. And there's a very interesting sutta where he even warned, this must have been a later sutta because it was after there had been the establishment of communities, because they weren't originally, right, but they're later. There's a sutta where he warns that too much involvement in sangha administration is detrimental to the path. <laughs> I took careful note of that one. <laughs> so that's pretty interesting. Um, and then the, the quality, you know, the sort of praise of um, the Dharma and of Nibbana, the goal, is that it's said to be, to be realized individually by the wise. That's one of the stock phrases about it, to be realized individually by the wise. So nobody enlightens another person. And nobody can even purify another person. Your actions are yours. <laughs> You can help by saying things to people, but in the end, we, it's our own karma that we reap. This is said explicitly in the Dhammapada. I'm sorry for the Victorian-sounding language, but maybe you'll read here through it. Evil is done by oneself alone. By oneself alone is one defiled. Evil is avoided by oneself alone. By oneself alone is one purified. Purity and impurity depend on oneself. No one purifies another. So there's a very real way, and with this path is about taking total responsibility for our lives and for our actions, because only then can we be truly free. If it depended on another, or if there were these conditions, or you know, little caveats about it, that wouldn't be free. <laughs> And if it depends entirely on you, nobody can stop you. Nobody can stop you. How could they? So there's something very good about that, that awakening is done individually in the end. Um, but there are the conditions to bring that about. We can't just snap our fingers, and that's where the group comes in. That's where we help each other to each do our own thing. So it's a little more subtle, right, than just choosing one or the other, just choosing, oh, I'm just going to awaken through group, or I'm just going to awaken by going to sit in a cave. So I thought about how to tie this together. There's a chapter in the Dhammapada called Oneself. That's the title of the chapter. There's various chapters on, you know, one on anger and one on uh, the Buddha and those kinds of things. There's one called oneself. And you can say that's pretty weird in a religion that teaches that there's non-self. It's supposed to be one of the deepest realizations is the realization of emptiness and not self. Why is there a chapter on oneself? But actually, a great motivation to practice is that we care deeply about ourself. We care about creating the conditions for us to have the happiest possible life, the most freedom, um, the least reliance on conditions being a certain way, since we don't have control over all those conditions, in case you hadn't noticed. Anybody who's aged has noticed that you don't have control over all the conditions. So it's very nice to take in to say, okay, I really care about this being, and what, what can be done? So here's some um, 
verses from that chapter. If one knew oneself to be precious, one would guard oneself with care. The sage will watch over herself in any part of the night. One indeed is one's own protector. What other protector could there be? With self-control, one gains a protector hard to obtain. Or as my teacher says, through practice, you become so important that you wouldn't dream of being selfish. You become so important that you wouldn't dream of being selfish, because that would be so painful. So we are alone with others in our practice. We're doing this, we're all doing our individual path together, if you will. Yeah, so this I think implies that both the nun and the monk were right. We do care for each other, we do help each other, we can't do it without the support of each other. And in the end, this is completely up to you, and uh, we're born alone, we die alone, so what will we do in between? And it's maybe nice that both of those sides were mentioned at this ceremony, so that we got the full picture, even though they didn't coordinate on it. The monks weren't even there when the nun said that. And in reality, you know, you could also say, oh, it's a male-female thing, but it's not, because the monks totally care for each other, totally. And those nuns, they're pretty tough. <laughs> so may your individual path unfold beautifully so that you can share the fruits with the whole group.